You are listening to the postcast presented by the Locked On Senators podcast and our friends over at the Glebe Central Pub. Glebe Central Pub is your neighborhood pub in the heart of Glebe. Great people, great food, great times at Glebe Central Pub. Check them out at 779 Bank Street in the heart of Glebe. I'm Brandon Pillar, joined by Jack Richardson here. And Jack, I hate to bring you on on these games where the Ottawa Senators just don't show up. We want to have a hyped, positive vibes pod uh, postcast, but that's not the way it always goes in Sens land here as the Ottawa Senators lose 3-0 to the Nashville Predators. Jack, what's your feeling after this game? Before we got on, you said this wasn't as disappointing as Seattle game at least, but when those two games are sandwiched back-to-back, I mean, it's a tough time to be a Sens fan. Well, look, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but before the game, it didn't look like a crazy crowd tonight. The Kraken one was a bit de- uh, depressing just because it was sold out crowd on a Saturday night, you know. Yeah. Uh, didn't look like a huge crowd, so at least not a lot of people went home disappointed tonight. But uh, it was still, you know, my biggest takeaway is that UC Soros is the most slept on goalie in the NHL because, my God, I mean, we'll talk about the Sens details and stuff, but he was the first and second and third star for for the whole game. I'd agree. He made some really key saves. And for a goalie that's so small, a lot of the times in the NHL, you want six feet or more. But being so small, I thought, Jack, that his play down low, like he's making every single pad save. Like his butterfly, his ability to move down low is so good. Well, it's not, it's not even that. It's it's the second saves. He's making the second and third saves, which is crazy because usually, I guess, as defensemen and players, you're instructed you know, let the goalie make the first save and you worry about the rest. The Soros is making second, third, and fourth saves, especially in that third period on those power plays for the Sens. So I don't know. I, I'm. It's hard when they get goalied like that a little bit, but at the same time, you got to put the puck in the net uh, in, in a game where uh, there were a lot of, maybe not prime chances, but chances that should have been in the back of the net for the Sens. I mean, anytime you get shut out when you have 38 shots, you got to be sitting there being like, how, like, how did we not squeeze one by? Like, what, what could we have done differently here? Although I thought the sense on their power play is sponsored by Jeremy uh, Lausanne. I mean, he had four minor penalties here. It was crazy, but I thought they had good pressure. They're moving the puck around. They're trying different things, but Saros just, he played a really great game. And DJ Smith, I know gets goofed on for that's his quote after most games. Well, we faced a good goalie over there, but I mean, at this point, that's kind of all there is to it. The Nashville Predators get out to a quick two, nothing start. And I actually thought uh, we'll get to the scoring summary, but just to kind of break it down in sections here, I actually thought the Ottawa centers played a pretty good first period. Like it's too bad that Brady goal gets called back, but they really didn't deserve to be down to nothing. But then, Jack, this Predators team, they just have that ability to shut things down. Like, that decor is so defensively smart. Did you kind of get the feeling that once the Preds got up 2 nothing, we were going to see a very defensive-type game from them here? I, I did, and you mentioned the uh, disallowed goal from Kachuk. I thought when that got disallowed, it, it felt like the, they had a mountain to climb, right? Just yeah. Not, I don't think Nashville's, a, you know, they're, they're, they're a good team. They're not great. Uh, but like you said, that back end, adding Ryan McDonough this year too, you've got McDonough, Ekholm, and Yossi on the ice at all times. That's going to be a challenge to get through. And I, I don't know, I, I like the way that the Sens kind of buzz around the offensive zone. I found the neutral zone was a bit of a struggle uh, for them getting in. And, and, you know, as a fast forward group, it was tough for them a couple of times. A lot of offsides from the Sens tonight. 
Yeah, a lot of the offsides all around. And I mean, two offsides cause uh, goals to be taken back. We'll get into that. Uh, I'll get into the scoring summary here as the Sens score no goals. So it's going to be a quick one from the Nashville Predators side. But you talked about that neutral zone where the Sens struggled. I thought, Jack, that they struggled a lot, the defensemen, with the puck at the blue line. And there was a couple bobbled plays. And Branny, he's, well, this is on the Senators blue line moving up the way, uh, the ice the other way, but Branny's carrying the puck up the ice. Him and Pinto collide, and then the puck's loose. The Preds get a 2 on 0. Branny's the only guy back. He tries to slide down and uh, block that pass, but it's a nice sauce pass over to Roman Yossi, who on a backdoor tap in like that, a guy that got 96 points last season, he's not going to miss that very often. And you know why Yossi's not missing that is because I traded him in fantasy after picking him in the first round because I was fed up with uh, his that's first two get, weeks. Jack. So that's that's obviously why he hit the uh, <laughs> hit the back of the net there. Stood up as the game winner, so there's an extra fantasy point too in the league I'm in. So, uh, but no, I mean when Yossi's on the ice, you just have to be aware offensively and defensively. He's one of those players, right? And uh, I think they alluded to it on the broadcast. He had a Norris caliber season last year, uh, but ran into Kale McCarr, one of the best defensemen almost of all time put, putting yeah. up records so you know he's, he's a really good player and i did mention sorrows but i think yossi is is the mvp of that team at its core and uh he's yeah like i said he's just one of those guys where even if you're at your own blue line you got to be aware that he's there and then the sends weren't and they've got uh their wires crossed a little bit yeah that was a tough one for brandy but i mean yeah uh yossi is just an absolute stud and the issue here is, yeah, it's a goal you don't love, but then you don't bounce back. Uh, another momentum goal as 32 seconds later, the National Predators, it's a quick shot. The rebound goes to Tanner Janot. He does a quick wraparound. It knocks off uh, Lausanne's skate, and it goes in. And it's 2 nothing Preds here. At this point, the Senators, that's really tough because you want to be like, okay, it's a bad play coming out of your own end. The Preds score. It's one nothing. Not a big deal. Let's slow things down here and let's uh, try to get some momentum back. Nope. The National Predators score, and now it's a two nothing deficit. Ugh. So, so you were mentioning Soros's technique in in that a little bit, and I thought Talbot had a really good game in in terms of where he was on Saturday. So the bar was on the floor, but he did have a nice night. Yeah. You can't you can't fault a goalie yeah. when a team gets shut out, right? My only issue was him on that second goal. I thought he was a little slow getting to his post. Uh, but I'd never played goalie. So do you think that that was a bit of a mistake from him? Because it ends up on the replay, it goes off his pad. The wraparound wasn't perfect. It goes off his pad and then off his skating in. Uh, was that just a bit of a slow play from Talbot? Yeah, I think a, a mixture of a slow play by Talbot and a quick play by Janot. Like Janot, mm -hmm. he doesn't hesitate. Like he, as soon as he gets that puck, he's like, I'm going for the wraparound. And like you mentioned, it's not a clean one where he tucks it right in, but he's, he's already got Talbot beat there. And then when there's bodies in front, you can... You can hope it's going to bank off. And even if it doesn't go in, it creates a really good scoring chance with a loose puck in the crease there. So, yeah, Talbot could have been better on that. But as you said, I'm not putting this one on Talbot or, no. or the goalies like I did the game up against Seattle. That was all on the attendees. There's not much uh, excuses that can really be made to prop up the goalies there. But the Ottawa centers, again, trying to get some momentum. And Giroux gets it to Brady out front a little while later. Quick shot. Saros, great save. But Brady in his office, he bangs away and he scores. But this one's offside. And as soon as they show the replay, I mean, there might be two guys offside on that entry. Stutzla and uh, Kachuk might have been offside there. So that one's tough because if you go into that period intermission down 2-1, it's not the end of the world. 
But down to nothing to a defensively structured team like the Nashville Predators, that really made things difficult. Yeah, and I mean, this is the first intermission, but you know I love the stat when trailing after two. It's not pretty for the yeah. Sens, and it's not pretty for many teams. I think most teams are good at shutting it down, but uh, yeah, trailing after any amount of time, just going into the room knowing you've got a mountain to climb, it's nice getting the late goal, and um, that would have been a big one, especially Kachuk. Like just having your captain pot one in, the top line gets go- going to yeah. work, and uh, it's one of those plays I, I knew. You couldn't even see the puck because I think Zub was, was close side to where the camera was. You could just tell when the players on the other side, like Stutzel and Kachuk, start hesitating a little bit because they're watching him with the puck. You can yeah. tell that they're they know they're offside, right? And I don't even think Brady did the train after he scored. He didn't go to the bench. He just went right. He went right and sat down. He knew that one yeah. of them was offside, and um, it's frustrating. Yeah, I'd agree. That's a good telltale sign. How close was uh, a play to actually happening? The player's reaction will say it all. Like, a player's very rarely do they fake a goal celebration or something when they know it's not in, because that's a bad look on the replay when it's a disallowed goal and you're giving it a big selly in the corner with everybody. So, that's tough for the Ottawa Senators, as that's how the first period ends. And then I thought the Nashville Predators just took over in that second period. I mean, they started off with a goal disallowed themselves. And ironically, it's Duchesne goal that gets pulled back as Duchesne is probably the lead candidate to why offside reviews happened after a brutal offside years ago that uh, ends up being a goal. So it's uh, Duchesne's goal that gets called back on offside. Uh, how about you got to shout out the Sens though, Jack? Their video coach or video guy who's ever doing the challenges He's been pretty successful all season long, which has helped the Sens out a lot. Yeah, I, every time they challenge, they're right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if someone could pull up the numbers on it on offsides. At least I think offsides are always you know pretty yes and no. I don't know what goalie interference there hasn't been a ton that the Sens have been involved in this year. Um, but I'm yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, and I mean that, with those ones, you can't blame them if they get them wrong. No, like, exactly. Who the hell yeah. knows what goalie interference is these days? But but when I'm confident now, when when they challenge it, and that that makes me like happy just knowing that. And I'm not sure how other teams fare uh, with their challenges around the league, but it's a comforting feeling. You know, these video coaches have had years now to look at the reviews and and look at what yeah. angles and stuff like that. You know, so um, it's it's good to know, and and especially when you consider that they'd be down a man if it's a goal. So you're, you're, you could have been looking at a three, nothing scenario and then you're on the penalty kill, yeah. um, which, which would have been drastic. So they know the, the risk and reward. Um, so that was like a successful challenge, obviously. And, and it was a big one just if they could have climbed back in the game, but of course they didn't. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, like keeping it from going three, nothing. Cause at this point there's still plenty of hockey left, right? Like you're, it's the second period. There's lots of time left in the period. So if you can keep it at two, nothing, as opposed to three, nothing, you're feeling a lot better about yourself here. But uh, then we had a fight, uh, Casty and Janot's fight here. That was actually a good tilt, but I think Casty went too much too soon. Like he starts ragdolling Janot and kind of uses all his energy. And then Janot gets better position on him. And I thought Janot wins that fight, uh, although we love Casty. But good on Casty for trying to get some life going. Because like you mentioned, the crowd just wasn't the same tonight and seemed a little quiet in there and the Sens needed something to pump them up. Yeah, and you can never fault a guy. Even even Austin Watson, though he, he his record isn't very good in these fights. But yeah. if you're if you're willing to stand in there toe to toe, your teammates have to appreciate it. Coaching staff appreciates it, and that's what Casty has to do. Yeah. Uh, and he did a good job of it. Now, 
Tanner Genoa is, is I like him. He's a fun player to watch. Yeah, uh, he yeah. hits, and I mean, he's I don't think his offense is that good this season, but he had a good season last year as a yeah. rookie. I thought he could have been in the top three for Calder voting if he. I don't think he was, but uh, yeah, that's that's my my stance. Like I, I like that play from Castlick. It was it's one of those things where if they come back and tie it, you're looking at that play as why. Yep. Um, but just couldn't couldn't get it going. Yeah, that's the thing. I like the play by uh, Casty as well here and. Pretty much the Predators, they dominated that period. Like the Ottawa Senators had a couple more mishaps. Talbot had to make a couple good saves, but I, I really didn't love that uh, period for the Sens. So we'll move on to the third where the final goal happens. And again, it's a defenseman at the blue line. This time he tries to keep it in on his own end. Thomas Shabbat bobbles it at the line. Forsberg has a two-on-one and Zub takes away the pass 100%. So basically he says, okay, I'm taking away the pass. Forsberg's going to go one-on-one on Talbot. And I mean, a guy like Philip Forsberg, he's going to beat a goalie cleanly like that more often than not when he has the time and space and he rips it low glove on Talbot. And I noticed uh, that this is something in the Seattle game. I forget which defenseman it was. Maybe it was Hamnick, but there's a two-on-one and he decided I'm going to take the pass and leave the shot for Talbot here and that was Sprong and Sprong beats him too so I'm attendee and I actually kind of appreciate that because I'd rather you fully take the pass and then I can just be like hey there's no chance that pass is getting over I'm going to focus on this shot but twice in a row that's happened with Talbot and he gets scored on so I think maybe the defensemen are going to have to change their approach there unfortunately well and I I need to go back and, and look at this but there was a play I think in in the third period earlier on where Jake Sanderson's tracking back Maybe it was the first period. I don't. I don't know. But it was definitely on the left side. So it was, it was in one of those two periods. And Sanderson's tracking back. Bench yells at him, and he takes a look over his shoulder and realizes, yeah. "Oh, this is a two on one. I'm not winning that race." Gets in the lane and gets in the pa- breaks up the pass. Like right. so, he he obviously he's got this other world, worldly skill. But yeah. you're right. I think every hockey player is instructed: give the goalie the shot. Just take the pass away. So that's why when it's a two on one, and you know, kind of like their first goal that went over to Yossi when Brandstrom couldn't get back in time yeah. to take away the pass. Those are the ones that are on the defenseman where you can't take away the pass. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, you've got the best perspective. You should want that one-on-one shot. And I'm sure Talbot yeah. will tell you uh, any day of the week he wants it. He mentioned it after the cracking game in his media appearance. He said, you know, if I stop that two-on-one right after the thir- our third goal, it's a different game. Definitely. And he didn't do it then. And honestly, you could probably argue that that was not a good time to give up the third goal with 12 minutes left in the third when the Sens are pushing a little bit. So, um, but again, I'm not going to blame Talbot for tonight. That's just, he made, he made some nice saves at the end of the second, especially. So just not a timely, just wasn't a timely save. There wasn't a timely goal. There wasn't a timely anything tonight. Yep. I would agree with that. It just, it just didn't go the Sens way here tonight, unfortunately. And that's how this game ends. And uh, look, this was one of the games, I believe, you could have got a shuttle from our friends over at the Glebe Central Pub. They do a shuttle to a lot of the games. Um, definitely something I would recommend. It's 15 bucks. The shuttle takes you to the game from the Glebe Central Pub. Then you watch the game there, go back. It takes you right back to the pub. You can have uh, some food and a drink after. So check out our friends at the Glebe Central Pub at 779 Bank Street. They are the postcast sponsor and Hopefully, we'll have some exciting news with them if there's a possible live show happening for the Chris Neal retirement game. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that news as we try to get that in the works here. But we're also sponsored by our friends over at Athletic Greens. 
just one scoop in your cup of water in the morning and you're starting your day off right. It's a way to boost your health and immunity system. I have it every morning. It's nice and easy. It tastes good for how much vitamins you get out of it. And we want you to go check them out today. Athletic Greens, check it out. Now, Jack, let's get to our Sun Central standouts. It's tough to do that when it's a 3-0 shutout, no goals, and not a lot of great play around the ice here. But I'll hand it off to you, see if you got a guy you want to shout out here as your Sun Central standout. I'm picking Tim Stutzla, and that might be an obvious one. Pilsy, I'm looking at the ice time here. He had three and a half more minutes than the next closest forward. He played 24-25 in all situations as a forward. Wow. That's insane. And he got shaken up a little bit. I was worried he re-aggravated his injury when he reached out for that puck in the second. Yeah. It looked like that was definitely what it was. And I, you can't say enough about him. The points weren't there tonight. Like four shots. He's doing everything in his power. He's the best player on this team when he's going. And he's going all the time right now. And I thought he was snubbed for uh, the NHL's three stars of the week This uh, this that came out today. But he, you know, didn't get the points tonight, but he proved what his all-round game is about. And, and every time he's on the ice, good things happen for the Sens. So uh, Tim Stills was my, stand, uh, my standout without any points or anything, obviously, because no one, no one had any points tonight. And it's too bad, Jack, because that breaks up his seven-game point streak that he had since returning to uh, from injury. And I agree with you. I thought he had a really good game. And what I'm liking about Timmy is even though no points, which he's not used to, a guy, a guy that's used to putting up points in most games as he's on a point-per-game pace this season, but his defensive game and his play away from the puck is getting so much better. And I'm loving DJ Smith putting him on the penalty kill. I think guys like that should have to experience what it's like to kill penalties and to play a strictly defensive game and try to shut down other teams' top power play units. So I think Tim Stutzla is a great choice for this game. I'm going with a guy in the bottom six. I actually thought the bottom six played a really nice game for the Sens here, especially when you take a look at the Nashville Predators that play that tight checking style hockey. Well, dis- uh, most of them were disciplined, not uh, Lausanne. But I thought the Senators did a good job matching that physicality and kind of sticking with them in this game. And Parker Kelly was someone for me that – I thought he was throwing hits out there. He was making plays to to try to create offense. And him and Gambrell actually had a two-on-one on the PK. Kelly uh, slid it over to Gambrell, and Gambrell actually had a really good shot that Soros had to get a piece of his glove on. And I thought Kelly did a great job drawing penalties in this game to allow the Senators' best scoring opportunities, which come on their power play, which has been hot. And I even thought the power play was good throughout this game, even though they don't get a goal. So I'm going to give Parker Kelly my Sen central standout on this one. I did like his game. So we, we picked the two forwards who led the team in shorthanded ice time, actually, which is funny. And okay. he was good. He's yep. good on the PK. And like you said, drawing penalties, that's what that bottom six has to do. If you're yep. not going to chip in a ton of goals offensively, you're not going to shut teams down defensively with, with a crazy amount of physical play or whatever. You know, they're good on the four check and they get in people's heads. And what that does is it draws penalties for the big boys. Uh, and that's that's what the bottom six and specifically the fourth line who had a couple good shifts tonight um, yep. they need to do and and that that that's encouraging now the entire third line or two pieces of the third line are injured right now yeah. so it's kind of like you've got five fourth line players on the on the ice at the same time or, or in the lineup at the same time I mean um, but they're doing a good job so so I kind of mean like the bottom six they're all playing like a fourth line which can lead to a little bit of, of miscommunication sometimes, but I like Parker Kelly in that role a lot. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. All they, all I think DJ really asks from them is play physical, play with pace, keep your foot, feet moving, play a simple game. Like there's, there's no one really that's going to wow you offensively in that bottom six. But a lot of guys that just play smart, simple hockey when you get to it, like Gambrell is a perfect example of that. Rarely will he wow you with any sort of offensive uh, instinct, but he does a good job just clearing the puck out and not getting scored on that often. And uh, guys like Parker Kelly, I thought he has really improved the last couple of weeks. I thought maybe he was more of a plug and play guy kind of in that November stretch, but now I'm okay with having him every game in a fourth line role because he's really turned it around. So Tim Stutzla and Parker Kelly are our Sense Central standouts in this three, nothing senators loss to the predators. Jack, we just had a game against Seattle where it's like, okay, we got to burn the tape on that one. Not a whole lot to discuss here. So kind of a similar game up against the Nashville Predators as, sure, there's no rivalry between these two teams. So both these teams are clawing their way to try to get a wild card spot in their respective conferences. How disappointing is it to get back-to-back losses like this at home, nonetheless, even if it's out of conference? Yeah, this was a big four-game homestand they had here, and they yeah. dropped down to uh, uh, two and two on it, right, with with the back-to-back losses. And I don't want to blame the extra time off, right? It was a day. They had one extra day off, I think, or two, you know, so that, that could play a factor because they were playing so much hockey. You just get in a groove even if you're super yeah. tired. Um, is the fact that they didn't get a practice in yesterday and it's the skills competition a factor probably, you know, like, yeah, good point. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that play into it, but I will say this. And we we were talking just during the game too. They played well, like this wasn't a, a, an effort like the Kraken game where it was just, there was nothing good happening uh, in, in that regard, but they just couldn't score. And that's, what's really frustrating, especially after giving up eight goals, you'd expect an offensively gifted team like the Sens to come out and bury some pucks. Um, I have the only problem I have now that's kind of growing a little bit is the power play, okay. uh, which which has been you know outstanding. It had a great month of December. There, I, I don't know if they will be after tonight, but third in the league entering tonight, which you can't you can't fault. And it's been great. They have so many weapons. Um, I just think that top unit needs a bit of a shakeup, and I don't know what it is, but you've got the guys to do it. And you know, with Norris kind of coming back soon, maybe Giroux <laughs> sitting there waiting. Like, there's options. You know what I mean? So, uh, what would you do? Would you shake anything up on there? Because there's a couple guys on that unit who I had an issue with tonight, um, and we—I'll get into that later because I've got to got to go off on a certain number seventy-two, maybe on on the sense he didn't have his best. Yeah, I would agree. It was a tough one for Shabby here. I, I think, Jack, you leave it for now and then shake it up when Norris comes back. Because you know Norris is coming back. You know he's going to be a big uh, component to whatever power play unit you leave him on. So I feel like if you mix it up now, then you're just messing up the chemistry for it to be messed up again when Norris comes back. Not that Norris, I mean, Norris is a guy, any power play unit, he's not going to mess it up. All you need to do is feed him the puck and he gets he gets his cookies on the power play, 16 power play goals last year, not a big deal. But I just think, for now, leave it and then decide to make a change when Norris gets back. That's what I do personally. I think I think that's that's smart. Uh, the, they keep saying there's no timeline for Norris, but they're lying. They're ha- they have to have their internal timeline for when he's coming back. So that would factor into into it for me. If it's another 15 games, you can't yeah. let this sit. You know what Agreed. I mean? Um, yeah. And I, I made this point too that I think it was after the first. You know, 
they they were producing still. I think they had 10 power play goals in the last 12 games or something. Like it was still producing. I just found the last few games it wasn't clicking like it was in December, right? I, I was at that Columbus yeah, game fair. where um the, the Columbus was just not not up to the test. But you know, the Sens had two power play goals in that game, but they didn't really ever get set up. They were just kind of nice bounces or a tip in front, yeah. you know. So that's a little concerning to me. Now with with Shabbat, uh Thomas Shabbat had a great first, I thought, passed up a couple shooting opportunities, but I'm not going to nitpick that. Then he just kind of fell off a cliff in the second and third. I don't know what happened. And I feel like that's been the story of his season. Now, ice time wise, he didn't play a ton. He played 24 or 30. That's where you want him. Yeah. But Jake Sanderson played 23, 28. So he's right behind him. And I don't know how many times that's happened, uh, especially when they're down two goals and pushing for, you know, for extra offense that they've had, they've been that tight. Uh, do you think that at any point this season, I know we keep talking about this and I've said it a lot, but do you think you see Sanderson like passing him maybe, or even more normally being on the same level of ice time? Because I think the coaches are starting to realize Shabbat sometimes is just a step behind. It feels like uh, with the, with the pace that the Sens are trying to play at. Yeah. And sometimes I find when Shabbat's not having a great game, he'll try to cheat offensively to make up for it. And that's, that's high risk, high reward, right? Like if he cheats and he gets it, he can make plays with the puck. But if he doesn't get it on those cheats, well, then he just looks even worse defensively. So I think that can be glaring for Thomas Shabbat for sure. But to answer your question, I wouldn't be that shocked if come mid-March, near the end of the season, we see ice times where Shabbat and Sanderson are very close, especially with how Sanderson's able to play on the special teams. Like he can play second power play unit quarterbacking that and play on the PK, whereas you're not going to get Shabbat on the PK. So Sanders and Sanderson's great five on five as well. It's not like that's a weakness. And he's even managing really well with a guy like Hamannick, who I think most NHL teams wouldn't have in their top four, especially paired beside their prized uh, defensive prospect, even though Jake Sanderson's it feels wrong to even call him a prospect anymore. It's he feels like he plays like he's like a five-year vet out there. But yeah, I think what Sanderson's showing so early in his NHL career, like I think after a full season under his belt and off season where he's really focused on what he needs to change to handle a long 82 game grind or more, hopefully. Um, I think next year we're going to see him probably fully take over and Thomas Shabbat be more a number two defenseman. That wouldn't shock me at all, honestly. Yeah, I, I think I kind of figured that when he was drafted almost, which I, I mean, it's easy to say now, but yeah. I think when, when you draft a defenseman of that caliber that high in such a good draft, that's the expectation. You're not drafting a number two, you're drafting a number one. Uh, and, and Shabbat was pretty much found gold in the fact that you know, he was a later first round pick and he's been a number one defenseman here for so long. Uh, I just, I, I want more from Shabbat and I don't think that's crazy to say it was, it might've been a little bit early to talk about it in, in October when he was struggling, the team was doing well. Um, but now for me, I, I want more from him as a, as a fan. And as you know, I've, we watched him like grow up with this team. We, we yeah. he was here and then they tore, tore everything down. He stayed, he signed a long-term contract, the first long-term one, all of that credit to Thomas Shabbat. We just need more now because the team's taking a step. They're way better than they've been. Uh, and I feel like his inconsistent play is is really kind of uh, pulling them back. On a blue line that isn't good at all, he, he should be the one standing out in a good way. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I think 
Tom Shabbat's going to get better as Jake Sanderson gets better. Almost yeah. like a, a, you know, a high tide floats all boats kind of thing. Like when Shabbat won't be relied upon and won't feel like he needs to be the man anymore now that Sanderson's here. I think as he gets more comfortable with that, we're going to see uh, balancing out. Or at, at least I'm hoping. That's my hope here. That's true. Okay. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of playoff chatter in the chat right now. And a lot of, uh, I also saw some, some draft talk, like we're on both ends of the spectrum here. We got the dart and we've got playoffs. Like, so what's your, um, cutoff I'd say for playoffs, because this has been a, it's been a good stretch since the, the end of November. Like so they've really turned it around here just under 500 now after this loss, but you know, lately in, in the last two weeks instead of the last six weeks the last two weeks has been pretty inconsistent like two or three losses yeah. here a couple wins so at what point are you saying okay they're not making the playoffs and and you know they need to start thinking about the draft and, and kind of next season i don't know it's a tough this question is, it's a tough question this is so weird because every year in november we're like it's draft talk baby. i know let's I know. T- let's see who the next oh. prospects are we're not even thinking of the word playoffs but now they're in this weird mushy middle where they can't seem to gain any ground in the wild card sense but they can't seem to lose enough to make it obvious that this is going to be an aggressive seller at the deadline i think for me i'm still i don't believe one way or another either way right now like i'm not a playoff believer and I'm also not believing that this team should start thinking about losses as uh, as victories and good things here. I think if we don't have a good, solid, consistent stretch throughout uh, the latter half of January and early part of February, I think it's going to be pretty clear. Because if the Senators keep this up-down, up-down thing, there's teams in the East that are going to settle themselves and it's going to be impossible to catch up. Like a 7 Right now, I believe it's seven points. Maybe with games happening, things have changed. But it's seven points, which isn't impossible. But, man, you got to be consistent to make up that ground because there's so many good teams. Uh, well, not even that great teams, but there's so many other teams in between you and a wild card spot. What, do you have some sort of cutoff in mind, Jack? Yeah, I'm looking at the, just the schedule ahead. I think there's a home-and-home home or a back-to-back with Pittsburgh coming up. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how long away, maybe two weeks, week and a half. That's the one, like, if you don't get at least two points out of that. You that's know, the you 18th and 20th, Jack. All right, so we're coming up to it soon. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I, I would start, you know, obviously depending what happens in between there, if they win every game up to then and then lose both of those, I'm not going to say the sky is falling. But if you keep middling like they are right now and then they lose both of those to Pittsburgh, which is an eight-point swing, right? Uh, there's a team you're trying to catch if they lose both of those games in regulation that's a problem so not that i would say tear it down let's go for Connor bedard because man like i i i I don't want to sound crazy saying this i don't know where that guy would fit and obviously you put a generational talent at the top and let him do the work but you know what i'm saying like yeah they have they have forwards if there was a defenseman at the top of the draft i'd be like let's let's do it let's tank the other thing you can dream about a top three pick all you want the tank race this year is something i've never seen since mcdavid because obviously this talent like all the teams that are so bad it's insane with all the parody in the league there's so much parody at the bottom too because everyone's so bad like the ducks columbus chicago montreal yeah. uh it's pretty funny so i wouldn't uh i wouldn't you know hang my hat on the Sens tanking for number one overall because it, it's literally uh you have to get lucky to get that pick yeah you have to get insanely lucky and and that's the thing like with the Sens here 
you know what? You don't want to be stuck in that mushy middle for long, but I think I'm just going to be comfortable in it for now, Jack, because I'm sick of the rebuilding tanking Me too. seasons. Me too. I've done, Ross and I have done 709 episodes covering a team that, uh, as Locked On Senators podcast, we have not covered a playoff team over 709 episodes. So I'm done with the draft being the excitement and the crown jewel of everything. I'm done uh, looking at the tank simulator and doing spins. If we have to be in the mushy middle this year and for guys to be like, man, we're close. We just need this. We need this. We've got to work harder. We've got to tighten up structurally for management and new ownership to see that this is a team that's not a contending team, but they're, they've got the core and the group to turn it into a contending team. For one, maybe two seasons, I can be comfortable with that because – I'm not going to get too high or too low wins and losses. They are what they are like this, this loss, if they were in a wild card spot and this bumped them out, that's devastating. But yeah. right now it, it is what it is. And also I'm not like nice that much closer to a higher percentage in the lottery odds. So like, yeah. I'm just going to be comfortable in the middle for now, I guess. They're, well, and that's what they are. They're, they're, they're a middle of the pack team. And so mid. Yeah. They're mid, they're mid. And, and yeah. uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, to the team's credit, they never said we're ma- we want to make playoffs. And Dorian, for once, was very careful about his comments uh, in a in a training camp. And you know, he said meaningful games by the trade deadline. Now that's an internal uh, uh, limit, right? We don't know what that means. So I'll ask you: Do you think seven points out of a wild card spot at the trade deadline constitutes being in it by the trade deadline? To me, I'd say five. I'd say five points out because you, you're looking at what fifth like 15 to 20 games to make up five points. That's a lot. That's a long, uh, a big hill to climb. It's tough for sure. I'll say uh, even at seven points, I wouldn't say they're out of it though, just because it's not playoff or bust. If it's playoff or bust and they're seven points out of it at the deadline, then I don't feel so good. But the goal is playing in meaningful games. So if you can string along a couple win streaks and now you're four, three points out of it, I mean, that's pretty attainable and you're playing in meaningful games, which is all I want. Like, I just want to want this team to win and to, and when they win big games, you feel good about it and like you made yeah. it somewhere. And Jack, this is a team that although they've had crap years, look at how they finished off the last two seasons. One of the hottest teams in the league, which sounds insane to say, but in the last like, it's a bit of a small sample size, but the last 15 games of this past two seasons the Sens have closed off the year good. So yeah. who's to say they can't do it with an actually good team and hopefully a healthy roster? Because, yeah, when Norris comes back, that's when I'm going to make my real judgments here. That's I fair. know you yeah. can't make excuses, but when you take a guy that scores 36 goals in 66 games and has 16 power play points and is your one of your top two centermen out of your lineup, that's massive, and that is going to affect how a roster shakes out. So when Norris comes back, that's when I'm really going to put my judgment into this squad. That's I think that's totally fair because let's like he's one of their best players, and he's not yeah. playing. Uh, so so it's it's it makes sense. I would I would want at the trade deadline. Let's say I'm thinking about the Winnipeg Jets last year, right? Where yep. disappointing year, but they still have the pieces to be a contender, which they are this season. So it worked out. But last trade deadline, I think they were three points out of a playoff spot or something like that. Like they were close. It was, they were in it uh, by all accounts, but they traded away Andrew cop instead yeah. of holding on to him for a playoff push. 
get a first round pick, load up a couple prospects, and now look at them. They've got a good prospect pool and they're pushing for a spot the next season. My thing with the Sens, you don't have a guy who's going to get you a first round pick if you were to move on from him at the deadline. The Brinkett, yeah, well, that's the thing. The Brinkett, I sorry, I should say a guy who doesn't figure into your long term plans. Yeah, yeah, you don't have an obvious deadline rental deal. Yeah, like if the Brinkett's a pending UFA this season and he doesn't have a contract, I'm selling him already. You know what I mean? I think maybe if Claude Giroux, like that would be a tough one, right? If he was on a one year deal or something, you'd have to ship him out probably for at least a first. So. That's where I, I don't understand people who are saying, let's tank, let's tank, let's tank, because yeah. I, th- I think I saw some people in the chat saying it, you know, there's not immediate help other than Bedard and maybe Fantilli uh, for next season. That's going to push you over the edge uh, in 2024. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I've held off really taking a deep dive on the prospects just because I can't do that to oh, myself me this too. early I'm just, again. I'm going purely World Juniors. That's all I... <laughs> yeah, that's, all that's I fair. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That that's the thing. Like, if you're the auto senators, you're not at a point where you're one prospect savior away. So no. the idea to tank that hard, I don't think makes sense. And I'm just done with tanking, even if it means getting a worse draft pick and not making playoffs. That's fine for me. I want to I want to see this team uh, push and be competitive uh, as we go on here. That's that's all I need now. Yeah, and anyone hoping, you know, for a, like this is a deep draft. It looks really good. Uh, but so did 2020 and we got our two pieces there. We were really lucky two top five picks. Yep. Stutzel has been here the whole time, but he's just now, you know, it, it's taken time and Sanderson, it's his rookie year. So you're looking at, if you're trying to get a top prospect in this draft, let's say they get eighth overall or something like that, because they end up not winning a ton of games down the stretch. That eighth overall pick is not stepping into this lineup and making an impact until 2025 at the earliest. It like probably by, by, you know, all, all averages or whatever. So that 2025 and then you're 2026 and then I think Batherson needs a new contract. So it's just yeah. like, it's something like that crazy. So it'll, you know, clock's ticking. They've got a lot of time obviously, but this is the core. The, the, these are the picks that are in, um, you could talk like coaching, like the, the, the options are internal, which, which sounds kind of strange. Um, it's not through the draft anymore. You've done that. That's why they traded for to You know, they traded the seventh overall pick for Alex to Exactly. They've they've transitioned into a new stage of where this team's at. You can't go backwards. That's that's not what you want to see here. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And again, though, it's it's two losses in a row. Like they've been playing really good hockey of late. Uh they go to Arizona on Thursday. That should be a yep. fun one, eh? Like in the Mullet Arena. I'm excited to see that. Yeah, and uh if last year's games up against the Yotes is any indicator, oh. it is gonna be an absolute barn burner of a game between these two squads. The last the last we ever saw of Matt Murray, I think. Eh? Was that his last game as a senator? Yep, Zaitsev runs into him and oh, uh God. the Sens lose what eight six, I think it was, and that was the end of the Matt Murray saga. I'm actually curious. I don't think I've ever talked to you you or Ross about this, because you guys are a goalie friendly show. When Murray, I know when Gustafson made his comments when the Sens played mini a couple of weeks ago, um, that there were, it was, it was a pretty, you know, like, wow, man, why are you, that, that's not at all what it was like when you were in Ottawa. So when you see Murray making, you know, sly remarks about, you know, the Leafs do everything well. And, you know, this is a top tier, you know, he's making jabs at the Sens because, and yeah. the medical staff of all things too. Right. My immediate reaction is, stop the puck like this is this whole charade is so it bothers me so much 
Uh, so do you, where do you stand on that as like a goalie speaking out and not in like a fun personality way as in like, it's not yeah. my fault. You know, these guys aren't good kind of thing. And that's definitely the attitude Matt Murray has. I think. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like for, for Leafs fans that, uh, feel like they're dunking on Sens fans when Matt Murray has a good game, Matt Murray could be a Vesna winner with the Leafs and, obviously I wouldn't be happy about it, but I wouldn't care that much because it just wasn't going to happen in Ottawa. Like the relationship just went bad. They paid him so much money and it didn't work out. He wasn't able to stay healthy, which I mean, that's like, what are you going to do if you can't stay healthy? It's not your fault, but also this team really was going to rely on him. So it just wasn't going to work in Ottawa. And I just feel like he didn't mesh with this team in the locker room. It didn't seem like he was having fun here. So if he's having a good time and likes how things are going in Toronto, good, good for him. Cause it just, I think every Sens fan could see it wasn't going to work here. It just wasn't. Yeah. He just didn't have the personality that fit like the coaching or the, the team or, you know, the yeah. team's captain is a workhorse. And if the goalie's not going to work, put the work boots on too, then that's a tough one to swallow if you're out there battling every night and you're not the best team necessarily. Yeah, and I mean, hey, uh, a lot of uh, entitlement over there in Toronto. So if oh, Matt Murray feels like he's entitled to certain things, well, he fits in at the he's <laughs> at the right spot. I can tell you that for sure. Jeez. Yeah, I had some Leafs fan today on on during the game. Just just say you know, Stutzel's always whining, and I'm like, are you kidding me? He got cross checked, whatever. He's in a skirmish, and they're both jawing at each other. And then the least like it was just a one one person, but it's just like I, I can't believe that. You know, I, I'll watch the Leafs, and even if you know I'm not the biggest fan of Marner or Matthews, but I'm not oh, dude, looking I for a little fault Marner. in their games. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not putting the time time into it either, but no, I can see no. if you're a fan of another team. It, it is probably tough to watch Stutzla and how he plays because you only see the bad stuff. Like if you're a Leafs fan, yeah. you're not seeing the Stutzla highlights. You're seeing your Leafs buddies post, oh, he's a diver, always oh, whining oh, again. God. So you're just flooded with that narrative. So you get kind of stuck in it. What'd you make of the uh, the Sportsnet intermission there? The, sec- the second uh, period, they, they talked about Stutzla for a while. I really liked what Yandel said about um, just, just the way uh, – they would approach Kachuk, just be like, yeah. leave him alone because he's going to burn us if he gets going. And then, not, and then Yandel said, like, early on, it was, let's get at Stutzel. And he's saying, now it's probably, let's lay off of him because he's so good, which I found really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because Timmy's an emotional guy, I think, for better or for worse. Like, I don't know if, if you kept the game on a, like a minute or two after it ended, they showed Timmy on the bench and he's just shaking his head he's banging his stick like like he mentioned he scores a hat trick up against seattle no doesn't care he's like i would have given all those goals back for a win like this guy wants to win so badly so i think sometimes he can get too frustrated and plays over the edge and it hurts him but sometimes he can get pissed off and he gives 110 percent and it ends up working well because he's forechecking harder he's playing a more physical game so i think it's a double-edged sword but Players like that, if you're an opponent, you don't want to wake that bear, so to speak, and and find out which edge of the sword you're getting, good or bad, with Tim Stutzla, because yeah. he's a superstar. And if he's feeling it and you piss him off, he's going to burn you. He's a competitor, too. Like, he likes yeah. to win. You can tell it. That's what I like most about it. I, you know, I noticed that in his first World Juniors, or the one that after he was drafted, he was just like, you know, they're losing 14-1 and he wants to win uh, against Canada. They're like, that, that was, that's why he's the best. And We'll circle back. I'll circle back to the draft talk. That's the player you draft. That's the piece yep. you turned around with, and they're doing it right now. 
yeah, slowly but surely. Exactly, and uh, that's that's the senator's kind of motto here: is slowly but surely. Hopefully, <laughs> that's a lot of uh, <laughs> clinging adjectives I use to get yeah. to this, but hopefully they can have a better performance up against the Arizona Coyotes on Thursday night at the Mullet Arena. Jack, this has been a good postcast. Even even though it's not a great uh, game, we have a lot of deep discussions and uh, there's always interesting things to talk about in Sens land. That's one thing Ross and I have learned over our 709 episodes. And you can catch episode 710 tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be a later recording uh, on the Locked On Senators YouTube channel, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your audio podcast, you can find us there. For myself, Brandon Piller, for my good friend Jack Richardson with the Future Sickos podcast. This is another edition of the Locked On Senators podcast, a 3 nothing loss to the Nashville Predators. We want to thank our sponsors, Glebe Central Pub, for sponsoring the postcast and Athletic Greens. Guys, thanks for watching the chat. Always nice to have everybody here. Good night from the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.